0: For you today on three wide in the middle, we're going to be taking a look at the four crown nationals with my man the animal Keith Bradley. He was actually there this last weekend, so we're going to be breaking it all down: the sprint cars, the non-wing sprint cars, the midgets, the silver crown, all of it. So we're going to be diving into that and taking a look at it. Also, have hopefully some some story time with him as he used to actually race the U.S. style sprints. But before we get to Keith, I want to talk about something that I kind of realized this last week and i find it really really interesting all right and it's basically how i'm going to open up the show today because i noticed last week i was sitting there i was kind of flipping through the channels and i came across thursday night football and it was the the jets and the was it the jets and the the panthers I think it was the Jets and the Panthers. I, I don't even really remember the team. I, remember, I just remember the game was bad. Right? I, I, I've kind of just forgotten about it because the game was bad. And yet that game, right, still pulls an incredible number in terms of ratings. People are still over the top excited about it. And they still watch it. And in America, the NFL is king. All right, period. That's all there is to it if you have a, you know, if there's a sports podcast out there that talks about, you know, more than just one sport, right? They talk about sports in general. They spend 75% of their time talking about the NFL. Even when it's not the NFL season, they talk about the NFL. And then they spend 20% of their time talking about the NBA and 5% of their time talking about everything else, right? The NFL and the NBA are, are king in this country. Now, when you get outside of the U S that's where we get into, you know, football or what we call soccer here in America. Um, and it's incredibly popular. It really is. And it's really popular here in America too. It's definitely getting more popular. I I'm, I'm actually a fan of soccer, but the NFL is King and the NFL has reached a point now where it can literally put out a horrible product and still be successful. Now, think about that for just a moment, right? Think about that. Imagine a television show that was horrible, where you literally at work the next day at the water cooler, you literally sat there and talked with your coworkers and was like, man, did you see last night's episode? Oh, yeah, I saw that. God, it sucked. It was horrible. The acting's bad, the writing's horrible, the audio, it's just, it's garbage. I know, it is. Man, I can't wait for next week, right? Like, that's, that's what the NFL is right now. Think about that. The NFL has, has, has reached a point where they can put out a crap product, and it is still, by far, the biggest thing going on, not only in the sports world, but in general. Like, it, 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 it leads the day. Right. When it is NFL season, it, that is what it is. And that is all we talk about is the NFL. Right. It's huge. Now, for those of you like me who are also avid race fans, right, fans of motorsports and I'm fan, you know, I'm a big fan of, I mean, obviously dirt racing. We, I mean, we're going to talk about the four crowns today. Right. But also NASCAR, Formula One, you know, things like that. If you're like me and you're a big fan of motorsports, right? You love your sport and it's a big deal to you. But racing will never be the NFL. And for the most part, we, we know this. Now they've tried, right? NASCAR in the late 90s, early 2000s, they tried. They tried to make it like the NFL and they failed miserably. And it cost them a lot. They lost a lot of their hardcore Um, You know group their their hardcore followers because they did that they took a shot they missed right they missed epically and now they're trying to make up for it they're trying to to regain that ground that they lost because it was just a bad idea and if the people running NASCAR had any sense in their head um, you know and it's it's easy it's easy for us for me right? To stand behind this microphone, to look back and and play the armchair quarterback, to look back and be like, you guys are dumb. You shouldn't have done that. You screwed everything up. You're idiots, right? It's really easy to, to, to play the results and do that because had it worked, right? We would have people being like, that was the smartest thing they ever did. They should have done more of it. It was absolutely genius. And look at us now, right? Like that's what, that's what we love to do. We love to play the results. We do this on everything, absolutely everything. right. If you got somebody, you know, look at Steve Jobs, for example, right? Look at Steve Jobs. People talk about him and the guy's a genius, right? He changed the world. Now, before Apple changed the world, Steve Jobs was a joke. He He was a dick. He was an asshole, right? As Wozniak said, it's not binary. You can be gifted and decent at the same time. But because he was successful because all this stuff happened. We play the results. We look at that. And we're like, that's the way that you have to do it. And you saw a lot of people doing this after these stories about jobs, came out, after these books and all this stuff came out where you literally had bosses who were trying to be Steve jobs. And it's like, dude, you can't be like that. You can't be the dick without the results. You've got to get the results, right? It's, it's, it's not cause and effect. We do this all the time in this country, all the time. And it's actually a, it's actually a really simple marketing ploy that, that a lot of people use. It's actually an influence tactic where people will they'll say, A plus B equals C. I'll give you an example of this. The government goes out and they do a study. And they look at the numbers. And the numbers come back and it says, people that live in homes, people that are buying homes, They have a higher rate of graduation, they have a higher rate of literacy, and they have a higher rate of going to college and long-term success in the country. Therefore, what we need to do is we need to get more people to buy homes, right? This is how they look at it. They say those who are buying homes are successful. Therefore, those people who are not buying homes, they're not successful. We need to get them to buy a home. Never mind the stuff in between, right? It may be the people who are buying homes are, you know, harder workers or more adjusted or you know were taught better with their money, right? Or there's a there's a million different factors, right? There's a million different factors, and I'm not saying that's true or false. I'm just giving I'm just giving you an example. So we love to play the results on this. It happens all the time. And when we look at NASCAR, right? When we look at racing in general. We can look back and we can say, "You guys screwed this up. You tried to make it something it's not." Now, hopefully they've learned, right? And moving forward, they won't do that again. But racing as a whole, not just NASCAR, racing as a whole will never be what the NFL is, meaning you cannot put out a crap product and it be awesome. You look forward to the next race. right? It's just not like that. You don't go to the local dirt track and be like, dude, man, this, this was one of the worst races I've ever seen. Can't wait to come back next week. right? You don't do that. You don't go to the Outlaws and be like, man, that show sucked. It was single file. There was no passing. It was horrible. Man, can't wait for next, next year. We don't do that. And the reason we don't do that is because football has something that racing doesn't. See, football and basketball are such mainstream successes because they've got a couple of things going for them. Now, number one is fantasy sports. Fantasy sports has absolutely changed the game when it comes to, no pun intended, when it comes to the NFL and the NBA. Yes, fantasy sports really started with fantasy baseball, but the the fantasy NFL, you know, when, when people started doing fantasy football and fantasy basketball, and then we got into the daily fantasy sports, it took it to a whole nother level. Because now you have people who are watching games that they don't even care about the result in terms of who wins or loses. They don't care. You got people watching the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? Probably the worst team in the NFL, bar none. And they're watching the game, not because they care whether or not the Jags win, but because they've got a player on that team for their fantasy roster. That's what they care about. Now, along with fantasy sports and, and daily fantasy is sports betting and see the NFL and the NBA have an advantage when it comes to sports betting, because those sports really lend themselves to sports betting. And I'll give you an example. In baseball, if you want to bet on a team in baseball, just a rare, let's just say a Wednesday night game, right? And you got the 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 San Francisco Giant. Well, that's not, that's my team, so let's use the bigger names that people recognize. If you're not a baseball fan, the Boston Red Sox against the New York Yankees. Okay, so if you want to bet that game, for the most part, you're going to have to make what's known as a money line wager, which is basically an odds bet. Okay, so you'll see a number, you'll see numbers next to the teams, and it'll be. Yankees -120, Boston +140. And what that is is that's a money line bet. So, if you bet the Yankees, you're betting 100 you got to bet $120 to make $100 if the Yankees win. If you bet the Red Sox at +140, okay? You bet $100 and if the Red Sox win, you get $140. That's what a money line wager is. And they have them in football, too. You can bet a huge underdog at like plus 300, plus 400. But here's the thing. In football, you have the spread. And this is huge because now what it does is it makes a game that going into it right on paper. And keep in mind, games are not played on paper, but on paper, the game is one sided. So you look at it and you're like, okay, Cowboys are playing against the Patriots and the Cowboys are favored. They're a seven point favorite. So if you looked at that, you would be like, okay, the Cowboys are favored by seven points. Why would I bet the Patriots? If the Cowboys are that much better, why would I bet the Patriots? Let's say it's halfway through the season. The Cowboys are, are seven and one and the Patriots are one in seven, right? No person no average person who, you know, the casual fan, maybe they're fans of the NFL, but they don't really follow the Cowboys and the Patriots, right? No person's going to look at that and be like, well, I'm going to take that team that's lost all these games. I'm going to bet on them. No one's going to do that. So you have to have a way to even it out. This is where the spread comes into play. So what they do is they say, hey, look, you can bet the Patriots. And if you bet the Patriots, we're going to give you seven points, which means you can still lose the game but as long as you lose by less than 7 points you actually win the bet. That's where the spread comes in and that's a huge huge aspect. And not only that but you can bet and there's so many bets that you can make in the NFL and the NBA it's not even funny right you can bet who's going to score first you know what the first score will be how many yards a quarterback will throw what's the total points game and there's all it's endless it's absolutely endless. And you can be making bets In real time. So if you have the the Cowboys playing the Patriots, maybe going into that game, like I said, the Cowboys were a seven point favorite. And then all of a sudden. After the first quarter, the Patriots are actually winning 14 to nothing. Well, now you can get online and you can make a live bet. You can get a live line, which now after we've seen a quarter of play. Maybe that line's come down. Maybe it's like, well, actually, the Patriots look like they might win this game. So you can get the Cowboys at minus three, right? They were a huge favorite. Yeah, they can still come back. But so far, it doesn't look good. So uh, we're, we're going to let you bet the Cowboys now at minus three. right? You can take advantage of stuff like that. Now, I spent years, I still do it to this day. I spent years handicapping NFL uh, and college basketball. Those were my two sports that I do and and make money from. Uh, I shouldn't say make money from. I don't make my, any money for those of you listening. I make zero money on, on on doing doing sports stuff. I just like to talk about it. but um, so um but th- those are the, those are the things that I did for I've done for years, right? And I've got spreadsheets, all kinds of stuff, man, that gives me numbers and lines, and then I go through and I handicap the games and I figure out who I thinks. You know, what's a good number? What's good value? Stuff like that. You can't do that in motorsports. You just can't. Okay? See, in, in, if we take NASCAR, for example, if you want to bet on who's going to win the race, you're betting an odds bet. So it's Kyle Larson plus 350. It's, you know, uh, Chase Elliott plus 400. It's Denny Hamlin plus 700. And when you bet them, the the level of excitement just isn't there because you don't always have that hope. And that's the key. It's hope you see in the NFL, you could bet it. If you bet an underdog, right? And you're not, a, you're not even a football You're not even really a football fan. If you bet an underdog and you have, you're getting seven points, right? You're getting plus seven. Now you have that hope until that game is over or unless it's just a complete blowout. And keep in mind in the NFL, like 80% of, of the scores are a touchdown or less, you can, you've got hope that your team can get what they call a backdoor cover. Where, yeah, they might lose the game, but you still cover the spread and you make your money. right? If you're a fantasy player, you might get that, that wide receiver or that quarterback who comes in and, and racks up a ton of yards and gets two touchdowns during garbage time because the other team was winning by 24 points and they don't really care. They're not trying that hard because this game's over. It's a blowout. That hope is always there. You don't have that in racing. Your hope is only there if your driver's running up front all day long. And then there's no way to compensate unless that driver actually wins. It's not like you can bet Denny Hamlin at plus a half a lap. You know what I mean? You can't do that. You can't say, as long as Denny Hamlin doesn't lose by more than half a lap, you win your bet. You can't do that. They don't have that in racing. And they can't have that in racing. now. Auto uh, Motorsports has done a, a good job with daily fantasy stuff. They have started doing that. You see more and more of that, and that has definitely opened it up. But for the most part, it's not the, the casual aspect is just not there. And the biggest reason why I think it's not there actually lends itself to a a much deeper reason and something that we see all the time here in society if we look at society today okay we in my personal opinion we live in the greatest time in human history there has never been more you know wealth and opportunity and and just you know a chance to just literally make a success out of yourself in human history in my in my opinion that is my my personal opinion If you have a laptop and an internet connection, which basically everybody has now, you can legitimately start a business and be successful. Will you become a millionaire? I I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Probably not, right? Most people won't. But you can make a living or a side income, right? You can earn extra income doing something that you enjoy. We've never been able to do that in, in, in all of human history. Think about, like, I'm 38 years old, okay? My dad's a baby boomer. Think about, you know, baby boomers. When they were growing up, when they were 20, 21 years old, think about if their parents had gone to them and said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they said, you know, I would really like to make a living doing something that's fun and fulfilling. Could you imagine what the answer would be? Right? It wouldn't be like you, that's right, go get them, tiger, right? It wouldn't be that. It'd be, what the hell are you talking about? This ain't fun land. Right? This ain't Disney World. Get your ass out there. Get to work. Take care of your business. Get a job because you're lucky. And, and, and stay there because you're lucky to have one. You're lucky someone who was willing to employ you. Right? That was the mindset back then. We don't have that anymore. Now it's, you can do whatever you want. And be successful if you're willing to work at it. But, when we look at society right now, there's a massive divide from that. And a lot of this has to do with politics. Now, I'm not going to make a political stand here. OK, that's not that, that, I don't want to do that. And you guys don't want to hear that. But let's just take one politician, for example, because everybody, whether you like him or don't dislike him, you've all heard of him. Let's just take someone like Bernie Sanders, right? Bernie Sanders has has been beating the same drum for forever. And what is it? It's the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Right. I mean, when when they were doing the de- debates for the Democratic nomination, I right, every question he answered was basically the same thing. Right. Hey, Bernie, we've been fighting the war on terror for 20 years. Uh, how do you plan if you're elected president? How do you plan on fixing that problem? Well. I believe that we have had a massive redistribution of wealth where the top one-tenth of 1% have taken 99.9% of all the wealth and the rich get richer and the poor get poor and they're doing it at the expense of the working class and I believe that you should have their money and that Medicare for all is a human right. Okay, Bernie, we were asking about terrorism, but okay, thanks for the answer, right? Like every question he answered like that. No joke, he really did. Go back and watch him. It, it, It was incredible. The man's a genius. He just gets up there and just talks about whatever he wants. Doesn't he? he doesn't care what they're asking. He just gets his point across. It's genius. It really is. But he has beat that drum forever. The reason why he's beat that drum is because a lot of society feels that way. A lot of society feels that way. Politicians are nothing but an echo chamber. They say what people want to hear. That's all. That's what they do. So every politician, when they get into office, they don't do what they say they're going to do. Cause they're just trying to get elected. They're good at one thing. They're, they're good at getting elected. They're good at getting you to vote for them. That's it. Most of them are clowns, right? If you think that that the best and the brightest work in the halls of government, I've got another story. <laughs> you are sadly mistaken. Right? They're just an echo chamber. But he says that all the time, and a lot of all the other politicians too. I'm not making it out like he's the only one. A lot of them do. They all do. Look at the other side of the aisle, right? Republicans, what do they always talk about? They always talk about, you know, downsizing government, less taxes, more opportunity for people to start businesses. They, they say the same thing, too, over and over and over and over. And the reason they do this is because that's what society believes, right? That's what people on their side want to hear. And when we look at motorsports, when we look at auto racing. What I see is I see the greatest representation of life of society today in terms of sports. Now you might be thinking like, Tommy, what the hell are you talking about? Well, let me explain. Take formula one, for example. First of all, you are not going to be in formula one unless you have some kind of money. As, as a kid, you have to come from money, right? Your family has to have money. Now there are incredible stories out there of dads working multiple jobs and selling, you know, car i mean doing all kinds of stuff to get their kids in a shifter cart so their kids can start coming up through the ranks and then you know maybe they'll get a sponsor but they're still doling out all kinds of money right there's stories of people taking out loans i mean nicky lauda went and took out a loan right bought his first ride and then turns out that he's a genius and they're like okay we'll give you a contract right like i mean it's incredible but you have to have money to get into the sport you cannot be you cannot be broke and get into motorsports you just can't do it it's not possible Whereas basketball, right? You just need a ball and a hoop. It doesn't even have to be an actual basketball hoop. It just needs to be something round. I mean, my first basketball hoop was a five-gallon bucket that had the bottom cut out of it, and it was screwed to a piece of plywood. And that's what we shot a basketball through. Right? That was my first basketball hoop when I was a kid. Now, I was a little kid. I was like five or six, right? But that, that was the first basketball hoop I had. You can't do that in racing. Now, once you get up the ranks, right, and then you get into maybe the top level, maybe you make it to F1. Well, what is it? Well, it's the same thing. Look at the structure that you have in F1. It is literally the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Now, keep in mind, the poorest teams in F1 are still extremely wealthy, but it's all relative. You look at a team like Williams, right? Like Williams, F1, they were a dominant force through the what was it, 80s, late 70s, through the 80s, into the 90s. Like, they were dominant. They, they won like 18 world champions. I mean, it was incredible. They were one of the best teams. They were up there with the McLarens and the Ferraris. But once you get past that point where you're like, you drop to the fifth, then sixth, then seventh, what happens is every year, that money that you're getting is less and less. Now, society, right? Or I shouldn't say society, but Sports should reward those who do the best, right? That's why we have a winner and a loser. But if you look at the NFL, the NFL is built on hope. If your team sucks this year, guess what? You get to pick first in next year's draft, meaning you get to pick the cream of the crop. You got first crack at the best players in college. You see, in racing, if you suck this year, you're probably going to suck next year because guess what? You don't have that much money. You don't have the sponsorships coming in. And if you do happen along a good driver, that driver wants to go somewhere else. And there's a lot of people that I, I truly believe this because I've actually heard people talk about this before. I've heard them call it a rich man sport. Now you can do certain types of racing and not, you don't have to be like You can go run your local dirt track for, for not much money. It's still, co- still going to cost you. It's not cheap, right? but you're not spending the type of money that you would be spending if you want to go do like F3 or Shifter cards or something like that, right? But when society as a whole, if you are somebody who's like, this sucks, the rich gets richer and the poor gets poorer, and keep in mind, a much bigger chunk of society believes that. And then you see something like racing where it's, you know, the top teams, the rich teams, the, the big monsters. Right, The Hendricks, the Childress, right? the, 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 the Haas, Stuart Haas, the Gibbs. On the F1 side, the Mercedes, the Ferraris, the McLarens, the Red Bulls. When you look at that and you see those guys every year just get better and better where the rest of these guys don't even have a shot. They don't have a chance. This sucks. And people, I believe, are literally tying those things together. Now, keep in mind, that is a part of it the bigger part of it is what we talked about before right you don't have the betting the sports betting the fantasy aspect and stuff like that you can't do it with racing now i think there are ways that they could improve that i really do and i wish that they would so i wish that they would actually for racing i wish that they would do a more um like more like horse betting right like when you go to the horse track i wish you could do more bets like that See. when you go to a horse racing track and bet, like you don't have to bet on who's just going to win. Like you can bet who's going to finish in the top three, right? You can do the, they got the trifectas and they got, they got all kinds of stuff that you can do. And I believe if you could add that to, to, to motorsports, you would see an improvement in it. Now you're never going to capture the casual fan. You will never be the NFL and that's okay. That, and that's the thing that I want people to understand that's okay. Look at the, NH- the NHL, the National Hockey League. I will put hockey, hardcore hockey fan up against any other fan on the face of the planet. Like, no, they don't, they don't have the just raw numbers that the NFL has or the NBA has. They don't. But you put hardcore hockey fan... Right against hardcore NFL fan. And I'm going to tell you right now, hardcore hockey fan is at another level. It's like hardcore college football fan. They're at another level. Go down to the South, go to Alabama or Louisiana, Florida. You go there, those, those, those college football towns, they don't have a pro team. They have their college football team. That's it. Where they literally make, build statues of, of Nick Saban, right? Because the man walks on water, right? Bear Bryant. Or at LSU, right, where they just worship the ground that these people walk on. They're gods amongst men. Those fans are at another level. NFL fan can't compete with that in terms of just being hardcore. But there's a whole lot more of them. Even though we might not never reach that level, which is fine, we still have something incredible. And if we can just keep it on the path that it's going, I think it will get nothing but better. But then again, could be wrong. All right. Joining me on the pod is the animal. My man, Keith Bradley, former USAC sprint car driver and now sim racing stud with me uh, online. Keith, how's it going? Doing good. Doing good. All right. Now we were just talking and you said that you ran some USAC stuff before, but what did you primarily run back when you were running sprint cars?
1: So we, uh, we mostly stuck to the Saturday night stuff at Lawrenceburg. And um, we would venture off every once in a while and go to like Putnamville, Perrigan once in a while. Uh, made a couple starts at North Vernon out at Twin Cities Raceway Park. But primarily, we, we raced at Lawrenceburg every Saturday night. Now,
0: was that 410s? That was 410 non wing. Nice. Real real sprint car racing, that's what it is. Oh oh yeah, the, the man cars. Not exactly. not the cars
1: with the crutch on the top.
0: Yeah, exactly. I got that barn door sucking you to the track. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Now how long did you race for?
1: Um overall, I mean I started racing when I was eight or nine. I started racing go karts. We dabbled in that for a couple years and then we eventually sold all that and took a break for crap i bet it was every bit of three years just financial reasons and then we got back into it unfortunately i raced a street stock one night and that was god awful <laughs> and we went many sprint racing and that door opened up a bunch of other doors and we sold that stuff off and bought a 410 sprint car and we raced that from uh, middle to late 2009 to 2014.
0: Oh, wow. That was a pretty good run there. Yeah, it, yeah. People don't, people don't realize it's, especially out here on the West coast. And I, I didn't realize it either when I was first getting involved in racing. And when, you know, we would go run Friday night, you know, when we would do like, uh, back then it was, you know, the Northern auto racing club and then it was King of the West. And I I don't know what the hell it's called now, but we, you know, we'd go run the, king of the west series on like a friday night and then we would go run you know civil war or something like that on a saturday night and you'd have like two nights of racing in one week and they'd be like oh man it's a busy week and then when we go back you know back out back out to the east and midwest and stuff like that you're running sprint cars five nights a week like i don't think people realize the amount of racing that goes on um in the midwest out where you guys are at your tracks racing every single night man it's crazy
1: oh it's wild like i always tell people when they when they talk about racing and they want to go get involved or even start watching sprint car racing, you've, you've got to look at Indiana. Because not only do, does Indiana do a lot of sprint car racing, but you can drive a couple miles over to Ohio and they do a bunch of sprint car racing from non-wing to wing stuff. I mean, you, your options are so much, I'd say, more open out here than out west
0: oh definitely well and that's where everybody goes you know all of the big name sprint car drivers that we had out west um when when i was working on them and we were coming up they all that was the goal it's like it's like north carolina and nascar it really is like that if you want to you want to be a sprint car driver you got to go to indiana you know and that's where that's where everybody went that's where Katings went that's where you know sweet and all those guys went like that's where you know they all end up in indiana you know if you want to really do it and see you know see how good you are you got to go out to indiana you know because that's just it's it's basically the sprint car racing hub of the U S you know, and like you said out here, we've got a lot of tracks that you can get to that are relatively close, but I mean there you can literally go to three or four different States, you know, and it's just an hour, hour two each way where California, you know, you drive seven hours and you're still in freaking California. So it's a lot easier back there. Yeah.
1: So, and like, like touching, touching on the guys coming from the West to the East, I think the most notable person to actually—I don't want to say pave the way, but has became very successful over here is Justin Grant.
0: Yeah, he's done really good. There's actually a few guys in the USAC series right now that are that are California boys, man, that are doing
1: good. Oh yeah, they're—I mean—they're—they're they're, I mean, they're, they're spread across heck, I'd say Indiana and Ohio. Yeah, they're everywhere.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good segue into into what we're going to talk about, which is the Four Crown. So you were at the Four Crown. Um, we had to we had to wait a couple days, like you said, for you to for you to recover, which is a a fun weekend. The Four Crown's on my bucket list. I'm hope I I want to go next year. I'm hoping that I'll get the chance to. But uh, just overall, before we dive into each class, how was the racing, man?
1: Um, I I'd say it was it was really good. It was. The racetrack stayed racy all night. Um, the, the track was very, very fast Friday night. Um, I mean, it, it didn't get too rough, didn't get too black, It didn't get too slick. I think it stayed pretty fair, pretty, pretty perfect all all weekend, and it just from each class, from either wing cars down to the midgets to the silver crown. The racing overall was, I'd say, the best that I've seen all year. Well,
0: oh, that's a, that's a tough thing to do when you have that many that many different classes running on, you know, a track like Eldora over the span of two days. Um, the track really takes a beating, and there's been some years where, you know, I've watched the four crown on on TV or streamed it, and the racing hasn't been that good in in certain classes, and it has to do with the fact that you know, like we were just talking about, when you have that many cars running on it. And just gets trashed. And that was one thing I noticed when I watched the, the races. I was surprised at how how good the track still, how you could still drive through the middle. And it wasn't like you were just hitting ice and in no man's land. Like you could still make a pass. You could still try a different line. And there was still some speed in the track. And it was what, I mean, made me, you know, absolutely love the, the sprint car race that I watched, the uh, the non-wing sprint car race. Um, I thought it was one of the better races I've seen, like you said, all year, it was, it was really, really good.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it, and it didn't disappoint at all. Oh, that's if, you, good. if you like, if you like sprint car racing, you, I mean, you had battles from the front to the back and it was, it was amazing to watch.
0: Now, speaking of which, what is your, out of, out of the, the cars that you saw this weekend, what's your favorite to watch? I know you ran non-wing sprint cars, but what's your favorite to watch?
1: My my favorite to watch, and it's going to be funny hearing me say it, is the the Midgets. I feel like the midgets put on a heck of a show, whether it's at Eldora or any other track that they're they're small wheel based cars, and they they fly they absolutely fly. Bye.
0: I absolutely I love the midgets, man. They are I've seen I've seen I mean I worked on a midget team. We did a bunch of midget racing, and I've been to a lot of non-wing sprint car races. Ton of wing sprint car races. I've only seen the silver crowns once in person on on dirt, and I I, I didn't really watch it. um Most of silver crown stuff I've seen is asphalt, and my favorite was always the midgets. I think those cars are so much fun that. Just the amount of action, those things are never, you know, it, they always seem like they're on edge. Like at any second, they could just flip yeah. right out of the park, and they're just going so fast. And So, yeah, I'm I, with you. I love them. I think they're the by far the most exciting to watch.
1: I honestly think they're so underappreciated. Oh, I I agree. It, I think midget race is greatly
0: underappreciated. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's I super
1: mean... underappreciated. It, it, even if you go back and watch the USAC Midget Week races, they, they were amazing. Every, every night of the racing was just spectacular. And then this past weekend at Eldora, they put on two great shows. And and you've seen a, a bunch of the young younger kids step up and was really ripping the fence. And it it, it was impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there were some fast, fast guys. Um, Friday night... We can talk about Friday night's race. Tyler Courtney got the win. Now Courtney was actually my pick to win. I picked him in last week's pod to win the midgets. And I he was also my pick in the All-Stars. All Star race didn't come through. He got the win on Friday night. Um how did he how how was the race between him, C V and Wyndham? Because and Kofoid. And, and I mean, those those four are kind of the the go to names right now when you think about the USAC midgets.
1: I I mean the racing was really good between them um you could really tell because the cream all and uh yeah you had tyler he flexed his muscle a little you had i mean of course chris windham ended up winning and he flexed his muscle and he showed that he he he's the past champion for a reason and he showed it and and i mean you can't sleep on buddy kofoid he's An all around talented race car driver, same as Logan Sevey. I mean, then Buddy Kofoid and Logan Sevey, I think, are the most underappreciated midget drivers. And you can throw Timez in there with them too. And it was, it was, it was really good racing. I loved every bit of it.
0: Yeah, Timez is, you know, we used to race against Timez back in the day when he was out here on in california running usac western states and even back then he was like this just win it or wear it gas man like he was either the fastest car and you could not catch him or he was like in the fence man like there was never any in between with them and i thought i was like man when he figures it out dude he's gonna be really something and i watch him today and it's like no he's still kind of the same dude (laughs) he's either like on a (laughs) rail and just smoking everybody or he or he wrecks man i think i think
1: sometimes his motto is as long as i bring the steering wheel back we're all right yeah (laughs) but i tell you what whatever he does he can sell the heck out of t-shirts
0: you know, I mean, it's he he's a he's a really cool dude, man. He's a good oh, personality for the sport, dude. yeah. Yeah. He,
1: he's a I think he's one of the most underappreciated USAC guys across the board between him and Robert Balu,
0: Yeah, Balu. I used to race outlaw carts with Balu, and Balu was I talked about Balu in a pod, uh, I can't remember if it was last week or the week before. And when I raced Outlaw carts against Brad Sweet and Kyle Larson, right? Now you're talking about two of the, like, best dirt drivers on the planet right now. Like, when I raced against them, and they used to just, they used to kick my ass. It wasn't even a competition.
1: But I know the feeling.
0: Yeah. But, <laughs> but when I used to race against them, and I would watch them when they got older, you could see there was something about them. I, I remember we used to talk about all the time. It's like, dude, I don't know what it is, but there's something they've got you know what i mean i don't whatever it's the it factor whatever you could watch him and you could just see like hey man that kid is different he's got something that no one else has robert blue when i would watch him i would say that kid is nuts like he used to put his car yeah he would put his car in places that no other 13 year old would ever dream of of doing you know what i mean like the the stones that he had when he was a kid was insane
1: (laughs) And I don't think he lost him.
0: No, Robert, he hasn't.
1: And, and that, that's one of the cooler things about racing in Indiana. I got to become really good friends with Robert coming up through the sprint car stuff. And he would always help us out at Lawrenceburg or anywhere else that we went. But touching on how you raced with Kyle Larson and Brad Sweet, it, it's funny that you say that because I raced with them when they moved here. Yeah. So, like, we, we'd pull in the pits and when Kyle Larson first moved here and we're like, who's that? and he just completely whipped everybody's ass and it's like he's going to be somebody and and it wasn't because he came out first time in a non-wing car I think and just spanked everybody the car control that that kid had at that young you knew yeah. he's he's going to be somewhere on top someday
0: yeah you could just see it man that they just had something you know and cuz look they they didn't win every race they didn't always dominate or anything like that but you could see them the way that they could handle a car and you're like they're they're at another level they might not win tonight but they're at another level
1: and they just kept
0: progressing more and more and more and now to see those guys at the level they're at it's it's incredible it's really incredible
1: and and it's like brad sweet when you bring up brad sweet the first thing you think of is he's a World of owl champion and he was one heck of a non-wing sprint car driver and midget driver back in the day oh yeah and I can I look at him, and you can compare him and Kyle Larson when they first started racing together. That Brad Sweet had unbelievable car control coming through the non-wing stuff, and then of course we see where he's at now. Yeah, and and when that Casey Kane Racing non-wing team showed up, you knew, all right, it's either going to be Brad Sweet or Brady Bacon, because I mean, I mean, even with Brady Bacon now, but back then they were tough. They were some tough competition.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, he was, Brad, he started driving – Um, he hopped out of the outlaw carts when he was like 14 and was racing like 600s, and he was in a midget by, by 18. or I mean, like he progressed so fast where yeah. most people, you know, it's like when they're – they get to – well, back then, you know, if you were in a, a sprint car at, at 20 years old, like, man, you were you were on the fast track. And now, I mean, these guys are they're, – they're racing midgets in, in 410 sprints when they're like 17 years old. It's insane. So, yeah. yeah, those guys, it's it's incredible, man. It really is the it, It's the awesome talent to level. sit back
1: and, and watch it and admire it now instead of having to worry about, can we beat them? Probably yes, not. exactly. <laughs> it makes and then it you'd much better. Just, you'd, you'd be trying to focus on your night, and you'd catch yourself just watching them. Like, look at that. I yeah. mean, it's it's incredible.
0: Yeah. No, you're right, man. It is. It's absolutely incredible, man. You know, when when, when we would – When we would do races, um, when we first started out doing the sprint cars and stuff, and we started running, like, King of the West, and this was, this was, like, 20 years ago, 20-something, 22 years ago. I mean, it was a long time ago. And I remember when uh Randy Hannigan was out on the West Coast, and he was running, like, the King of the West stuff. And this was before he went and, like, moved back East, like, full-time and started doing Outlaws and all that stuff like that. Yeah. And he would just dominate like you would be like this guy's at another level man like this isn't even fair and you would go there and you just watch like you're not even watching your driver you're watching the other guy on the track and it's like hey yeah how's shane doing tonight And you're like oh yeah sorry man i was watching watching hannigan up front like i haven't been paying attention
1: i forgot how we're (laughs) even yeah
0: yeah i forgot i forgot that we're running eighth i was looking at the other guy yeah because you just you know as as someone who you know, I only raced Outlaw Karts and I only did it for a few years. I, I figured out pretty early on that I wasn't going to be able to to do it financially. And just to know how difficult that can be to see people do that stuff in a sprint car and, you know, it, especially when you're talking non-link 410s and midgets and stuff where the power to weight ratio is so crazy. Um, it's just, you know, I have such a level of respect for it. And right now, you know, I mean, for... For all the stuff that, you know, because I'll talk to people, um, you know, friends of mine that are older who grew up watching racing, and a lot of them will be like, well, you know, you know, midgets and, and USAC sprints were better back in the day, and they start naming off all of these guys. You know, that's when they talk about Jimmy Seals and Dave Darlin and all this. It's like, yeah, this, those guys were awesome, man. They were great. Like, dude, I love watching Jack Hewitt as much as the other guy. I'm like, oh, I, absolutely. Really? yeah, I'm like, but, you know, I really think that we're at a, a time right now where, you're you're almost spoiled like the level of talent that we have in USAC today is so incredible and the sad thing is is there's not a ton of people that know about it you know it 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 really is I think we're at almost a like a golden age when you look at just the the guys that are in these races and you're like, man, he got 10th. And then you look at the nine guys in front of him, You're like, well, that makes sense. You know, when Wyndham, Grant, CV, Courtney, Bacon, you know, when it's all these guys in front of him, it's like, well, well I would be happy to get a top 10 finish at, at the four crown when, when I'm running against those guys. So yeah, oh, the absolutely. level has just been incredible.
1: And and it's kind of disappointing that like they don't get any national praise with it. I mean, you Every so often you'll hear NASCAR drivers talking about it or car owners in NASCAR talk about it. But, I mean, it's, it's very brief. Yes. And I think right yeah. now USAC racing, spring car racing in general, or even dirt track racing from top to bottom is at an all-time high. And I think the number one reason why, last year when Kyle Larson just lit the whole dirt scene on fire. Yes, that and, had a and lot to do really, with it. It really catapulted the dirt scene, and now everybody's kind of like, that's awesome so yeah. now like you, you get the kyle larson showing up to a dirt track that i don't know you might see 50 to 60 people on a night show up give or take some but once when they announce oh kyle larson will be here in a late model and then there's thousands of people flocking yeah it, i think it's great for dirt track racing we need guys like that yeah and i think do. there i think there's 10 to 15 of them coming up in usac today that could be like that
0: yeah, there really are, you know, and they know that that's the thing. And you know, this it used to be that that was kind of the perception of USAC racing, you know, when when we were running sprint cars and stuff like that. It was look, if you want your, you know, if you were somebody, you had a, a son or or you yourself were a driver and you had aspirations of being a professional race car driver, it was like you had these two paths right it's like look if you want to go to nascar one day you need to be running usac stuff right if you want to just run sprint cars the rest of your life go put a wing on it and and go over there and play like that was kind of the the mentality of it and with people like you know obviously we had jeff gordon and tony stewart who kind of came up and then you had the casey canes and now the kyle larsons and stuff with these guys you know, doing what they've done in NASCAR and then coming back and running these dirt tracks. And I think one of the best things that's happened is NASCAR cutting down the practices and all that stuff. So now these guys can go hop into a car on a Friday night. They don't have to go turn a bunch of worthless practice laps down out at, you know, Las Vegas or Talladega. They can go run a dirt track and then still make the race on Sunday. It's done a lot for, you know, just getting more eyeballs on the sport, because like you said, it's 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 awesome what we've got right now. And I wish more people knew about it because, and like I said, I talked about it in the open of the podcast today. You know, one of the things that is, is sad, you know, racing will never be what the NFL is. Right. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. You know, and there's a lot of factors for that. One of the biggest ones is, is when you can have something like fantasy football and sports betting with football, right? Like that sport in the NBA, they were made, for fantasy sports and for gambling and we just don't have that in racing now is there a way to add that you know i i talked about it before and it's like look if we could have you know at your local dirt track if you could place wagers like you can at a horse track like that might be fun and cool and that might add some more interest is that going to blow up the sport no it's not but it might add something extra but the thing is is that with racing we as as you know, advocates for the sport. I think we need to look at ourselves as like hockey, like the NHL. Yeah. We yeah. might not have the most people, but that's, and that's fine. But the people we have, I'll put them up against anybody in terms of their fandom, right. Of just being and, a and, hardcore fan.
1: And I mean, what other sport could you go sit down in a grandstand or sit in the pits wherever at the racetrack and then get up and walk to the pits and, and hang out with the drivers yeah you get you to go meet the stars you you can't get that nascar because they don't let you get too close no and in the dirt track scene you can walk right up say uh thomas mesrod and then just shoot the shit with him for 10-15 minutes and move on to the next guy and i mean the fan to driver interaction i think in dirt track racing as a whole is so much better than in the top forms of motorsports because them guys don't want to be bugged they got Way too much stuff going on, which is fine. But on the other hand, as a fan aspect, you don't really get much out of out of it because you can't you can't walk up to say Kevin Harvick and sit and talk to him. No, more likely blow you off. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's where we have the upper hand in dirt track racing because I mean, as as a dirt track an ex dirt track driver, sprint car driver, I loved when people came up and was like, "Hey, you drive that car?" Yeah. And then it just opened up so much more opportunities, whether as a sponsor aspect or anything like that. And and then you just grow your name and your fan base. And it, it's so awesome. And and USAC racing or, or local shows that they allow that to happen.
0: Oh, definitely. And it, it's, 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 to me, it's what makes it um, so unique and so special, you know? And if you look at, you know, I, I, one of the things that I was talking, and I was actually talking to Greg Lamy about this a while ago, our sim racing buddy. Um, one of the things that I had said was, I was like, you know, in NASCAR, you know, in, or in, in racing in general, you know, USAC and, and World of Outlaws, like they should do something like this. I'm like, if I was running one of those sports, the first thing I would do is go find the person who did that Netflix series on F1 and hire them to do the same thing for these series, Right get the oh, people absolutely. to know these drivers. Cause like you said, you can go talk to them, but a lot of people, unless you are somebody who's going to the local dirt tracks and stuff like that, you don't know that, you know what I mean? You have no idea, right? If you're sitting in California, yeah. like I am, and you haven't, you know, you like racing, but you haven't been out to the tracks and, and stuff like that. You don't know that, Hey man, I can just go talk to these. I can go hop into the pits at the end of the races, Don't even got to buy a pit pass, right? It just opens up, just head on out there. You know, people don't even know that. And yeah a lot of people don't realize that, you know, like we were talking before about most of the big names they see on TV in the, the NASCARs and Indy cars and stuff like that. They came from these very series and they could be having an opportunity to meet the next. I mean, obviously there's not going to be another Kyle Larson, but the next driver like that who makes it to cup and is, is a winning driver.
1: Absolutely. And I think there, there's a track somewhere close to me in Indiana. It's either, Gas City or Putnamville or Kokomo, one of the three, um, you could show up an hour before and they, they hold a meet and greet in the pits. They, they open the pits to everybody. You don't have to have a pit pass to go back there and meet the driver. And not a lot of people know, yeah, they got the T-shirt trailers, but you can also go back to the trailer and, and actually buy a shirt from them, get it autographed. And, and what I like about it is you, you see all these kids in the pits and they always have a smile on their face because they're not being turned away and it it just makes you proud to be a part of the USAC sprint car dirt track family.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's that's probably the the best way to describe it. You know, that that world when you're in it and you're you're around it constantly, it is like a family. You know, it really and, is.
1: And like I Told our buddy that races him with us Wade Fields. That that was the best part about being a sprint car driver. Yeah, we we didn't really. I can't say we didn't perform well. We just never won because the competition was so stacked. But uh, on the other hand, the friendships and and everybody reaching out if something happened. It, it turned into a big family. Like when we trashed our first car at Lawrenceburg. The first person to send me a text was Chad Basefluk. Hey, you need anything? We got a car. We got a frame sitting up here. He shot me a price. And we all helped each other. And that, that's one thing that I, I loved and I miss to this day about being a part of the Sprint Car family.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why people... You know, a lot of times you see drivers will have an incident on the track and then you see them jawing at each other and and getting mad and stuff like that. And a lot of people are like, oh, man, those guys must hate each other. Oh, man, he must be pissed. It's like, no, you don't understand. That's like fighting with your brother. That's what that's why that's why they're so heated. It's because it's like. It's like it's like your brother wrecking into you like, dude, what are you doing? You know, because like, because you're yeah. on the road with them all year long and you and you're at every track with them and you see them all the time. And so when that stuff happens, it's worse than just the competitor. It's like it's like a fa- it's like family doing it to you.
1: It's like, hey, and, man, and, what was that? And I, I think one of the better stories I have about that is we were struggling with the setup of our car and a lot of people might not know the name of John Memmer. He was a USAC guy, an MSCS guy. He raced KISS here in Indiana. Um, we met up one night and was like, hey, why don't you just bring your car down an hour early? Now, keep in mind, we live five minutes from Artsburg Speedway. So we're like, all right, yeah, that's fine. We can do that. And, and John Memmer basically tore our car apart, went to his trailer, pulled shocks off his wall of his trailer. And. Put him on my car. He put what setup he had in his car in my car, and it was probably the most comfortable I've been in the car that year. It's a shame that I junked the car later that night. But the funny <laughs> part is, is <laughs> the shocks that were on the car weren't mine. They were his, and they were, they, they were shaped as a J. Not good. And uh, John's dad was like, well, I tell you what, instead of just paying money for him, why don't you just come work in our shop work them off so from about late july to i'd say almost november i traveled to every usac race wrenching on their car And i learned more doing that than i did tinkering with my car in our shop oh yeah and and there's a lot of guys that'd be like all right just just pay me pay me the money they wouldn't open their arms and welcome you into their household because heck i i lived with him for a little bit doing it and it it was awesome.
0: Yeah. Oh, no. The, the 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 most I ever learned was, and I didn't have to, like, work off a dead or anything like that, but the most I ever learned about race cars and, and setups and stuff like that was in those situations where it was, like, all of a sudden it's, like, I'm with somebody else, you know. Hey, you know, we're not running tonight, but, you know, these guys are, and we're going to go help them. It's, like, oh. K, you know, and then you get there and it's like, you just, it's just a, you know, the, the difference in what people can do and how they see things and the variety of which, you know, someone can, cause you think about a setup on a car, right. And you're like, well, oh, it's, it's got bars. It's got shocks. It's got tires. It's like, I mean, well, how different can it really be? And then you start messing with it and you're like, Oh my God, like these guys look at this completely different than we do. And it can be one of the best experiences you can have, you know, to see things through other people's eyes and to have someone like that open. Like you said, open it up to you is incredible because a lot of people are really secretive about that stuff. You know, it's that's not stuff that they normally will share with people.
1: And and that's kind of what opened my eyes with it. I kind of sat back and was like, all right, we kind of are competitors. We we compete against one another, but you're going to allow me to come in and and see everything that you do to your car and in your setup. But they were good people. I mean, they really didn't hide anything. And and like I told my buddy Wade or our buddy Wade, that was probably one of the better experiences I've had racing a sprint car.
0: Yeah, it, it they, they are fun. You know, I I I was actually talking to my my wife a couple of nights ago because she she made the joke. She was like, what would you do without me? And I was like, well, I'd probably be on the road right now. <laughs> Racing, yeah. <laughs> she's like what and i was like yeah i'd probably be out there on the road racing you know i i i'm i really there's part i mean obviously i, I wouldn't want to be on the road like that anymore but there's part of me that that really misses that i used to love that you know just it was like a You know, I mean, it's not like a, you know, F1 or NASCAR, but it's like you're part of this traveling circus and you just take everything down and you move on to the next stop and you put everything back up and you're with the same people and, and you're going at it again. And it's just, uh, it's incredible, man. It's, it's what I love about, about racing and it's what I miss about it. You know, doing it myself.
1: Oh, absolutely. I I agree a hundred percent.
0: All right, well, we've uh, covered all kinds of stuff. Uh, Before we wrap this up, um, we talked a little bit about the Midgets. So uh, tell me what you saw in the Sprint Car Show on Saturday night. Tyler Courtney, my my pick for the Midgets, he actually won Saturday night in the Sprint Car. So how was that race, and and what were you seeing out of those guys?
1: Man, honestly, I think that was the first time I sat down and just focused on the leader because usually my eyes are like a hawk. I'm watching front the pack, middle of the pack, sometimes the back because there's usually good racing but the show that Logan Seavey and Tyler Courtney put on Saturday night, hands down was probably one of the best non-wing races I've seen in a long time at Eldora just because I mean you had Tyler Courtney ripping the fence down which should be expected and then you had Logan Seavey running the middle, working the middle and, and I told our buddy Wade, I was like I wish I wish Logan would have came up to the wall a little bit because he he looked to be faster, but it's hard to beat Tyler Courtney at Eldora. I mean, anytime he shows up in anything, I wouldn't want to bet against him.
0: No, I mean, absolutely not. I mean, hell, he won the Kings Royal this year. You know, I mean, he's he's always fastener, and he won in the midget Friday night, and that was one of the things that really stood out to me too when I watched that race back was, you know – Courtney was so fast on the wall and CV work in the middle. And, you know, there was a couple times where Courtney literally, he just bounced it off the wall and lost, you know, would lose his momentum and, and CV would get away and he would reel him back in. And when he finally got around him, you know, CV made another charge and I thought he was going to have a shot, but it just, Courtney seemed to be just too much. You know, he's just too fast up there. And it would have been interesting to see, C V, you know, maybe try to go up and run that line and see if he could have, you know, gotten a run on him. But I don't know if anybody was gonna was gonna beat old uh old Tyler Courtney, man. He was, he no, was on rail. And,
1: and my pick to to compete with him, it it definitely I don't want to say I counted out Logan C V at the beginning, but my eyes were on Robert Blue because he's just as strong at Eldora as Tyler Courtney as we've seen at Let's Race Two. Them two put on a heck of a show in the first race and the second race and it it was disappointing to see him run mid-pack, but the race up front was incredible.
0: Yeah, well, when you look at just the guys who are up there, you know, Courtney, CV, Wyndham, Grant, Chapel, and, and Brady Bacon, I mean, that's just your your top six. I mean, that's that's really the, you know, kind of the who's who's list of Zach sprint car drivers right now. So, you know, those guys are, are definitely, I mean, every every race that those guys, you know, go to, they're their favorites to win, so it's no surprise that they were running up front at the foreground.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: All right, man. well, we are out of time dude, but that was a lot of fun, man. I'll have to have you back on again dude because I know we've got a whole lot more racing stuff that we can talk about man because that was yeah, that well, was a lot of fun dude. so
1: we definitely should and we can go in the history of uh, when I started racing and, and the who's who who I raced with There you go I mean I would, I,
0: would, I would love it, man. that would be awesome. That would be awesome because I, my, my stories of who I raced against, I mean, there's some big names, but I, I, I never did anything. I just got my ass kicked. so, so <laughs> I don't have I. anything I don't cool. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but all right, man, thank you very much, dude. And I will, I'll get you back on again, man. Cause that was fun.
1: That was fun. Thanks, Tommy. Yep.
0: All right, you guys. So that's going to do it all for today's podcast episode. I was going to do an ass Tommy, but I, you know what, that, Talking to Keith was so much fun. I'm just going to leave it at that. It was, that was an awesome talk and I, I cannot wait to have him back on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, teaser, we were talking after we stopped recording and, uh, he's got some really cool stories about, um, back in the day when he was actually teammates with Brian Clawson. So hopefully we'll get him back on in the future and we can talk about that stuff, but that's going to do it all for today's episode. Thank you very much, as always, for joining. Remember to subscribe, download, rate, review, all that other good stuff. We're finally up on Apple Podcasts. They finally got this thing verified. We'll be up on Stitcher soon. And then we're also on Spotify, iHeart, and basically anywhere that you can find your podcast. So that'll do it all for today. Thank you very much, as always. And until next time, take care.